0: Will you pray with me? Father, we're singing our faith this morning because our faith makes us want to sing. And on this day of days, Lord, when we remember the greatest event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we pray with the audacity today to ask you to do it again in us, like Nenna, buried and raised to a brand new life. We ask that you would help us to get a life today, Lord. Help us to get a life from you, a life that matters, a life that will last forever. And I thank you, Lord, that you're the only one in this room who's read all of our email. You're the only one who knows everything about us. And so I'm going to ask you to do what I've seen you do for the last 36 years as a pastor, Lord. I'm asking you to meet us where we are. Because apart from you, we don't have life. And apart from you, we never find meaning. Lord, look into our brokenness today and you who brought your only Son out of the grave, please revive us today. Bring us to life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. All the time. This affirmation of faith is especially true on on Easter weekend. Somebody asked me, so do you have a goat story? I mean, I had a goat story last year. Remember, we got the goat really sick, and we, we got on the Honda Pilot with the goat, and we drove to Navasota, and we saved the goat's life, and the, the doctor, who was wonderful, said, I can't do this alone. Dad, I need you to scrub in. And so I helped operate on the goat, and um, I know I don't, we don't have any goats. We kind of moved up in the, uh, in the livestock world. We now, um, we, don't have, we don't have goats, but we have a heifer. Uh, named Maley And I think we have a picture of uh, Casey leading Mailey at the Houston Rodeo. And uh, Mailey's a Maylee's a great cow. And there's, a, I was with her too. This was in Austin, I think. I was standing with her there. And um, no, no real heifer story. I would only say that right after that picture was taken, for some reason she got a little irritated with me and she helped me jump over that fence right in front of me. <laughs> she just gave me a little boost. And I went over the fence and uh, just kind of no, I don't, I don't have any goat or heifer stories this year, but I just keep thinking about this Lamb who took away the sin of the world when He died on the cross and rose again on the third day and how we ought to follow Him everywhere He goes. Amen? And so I was reading the work of... Uh, a therapist who was describing beauty and he talked about traveling around the world looking for beautiful places and he ended up in Greece, just off the coast of Greece and he, he gets there and there's a monastery and he goes in, it's early in the morning and there's an Easter service that's been going on all night from Saturday night into Sunday morning and he gets there right when the priest walks out and says in Greek, Christos Anesti, he is risen, Christ is risen. And the therapist, instinctively, with everybody else in the room, just like we did earlier, says, "He has risen indeed." And then Rollo May, that therapist, writing about that experience, said, "I was seized then by a moment of spiritual reality. What would it really mean for our world if he had truly risen? You ever wonder that? Like on Easter? You ever just stop and go, "So what if all this is true? What if this is not just a a day off from work and school on Friday and a big day at church, but what if this is really true? I'm not thinking this morning, maybe you are, but I'm not particularly concerned this morning about, about trying to figure out whether or not the resurrection happened. I'm just wondering if it matters that it happened and how it matters to you and to me. We've been looking at faces, familiar faces, some unfamiliar faces in the fourth gospel. And I want us to turn to chapter 20 today and look at a face we think we know. And I want us to look closely at his face and to see what we really see. We're going to look at the story of the one that we've always called. I've always called him. Haven't you always called him? Doubting Thomas. I've got a new, new take on him today if you'll look with me in God's word. Stand with me as we read God's word. John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. Just to recap, Mary Magdalene has found the empty tomb. And she tells Peter and John, they come running, they have a foot race. John wins the race. John tells us that John won the race. And and that he didn't go in, but Peter, impulsive as always, Lurched right into the tomb. And what they saw there was not just grave clothes, but they, they looked like somebody had come out of them somehow. And it says they didn't understand it, but John, the beloved disciple, believed. Then Mary Magdalene runs right into Jesus. She doesn't know him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she asks where the body is. And Jesus calls her by name, Mary. And she says, Rabbani, my master. Then she runs and tells the rest of the disciples. And they all gather. They all gather in the upper room except for Thomas. He's not there. And so we pick up the story in chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit And my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. Hmm. I've always thought of him as doubting Thomas. I mean, that's what I've always heard about him. But as I was reading through the Gospel of John, something struck me this time. I see... John building to a point and he is inviting us to believe so he says at the very beginning of the book but to as many as received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become the children of God children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will but born of God. And he uses this word life over and over again. And he uses the word believe over and over again. And he is inviting us with every story, with every miracle that he shows us, to believe. And he rises finally to the crescendo. And it's interesting because... I wouldn't have thought this were so, but I think chapter 21 that we'll look at next week is sort of epilogue. It's sort of the rest of the story of Peter and John. It's sort of the the resolution. If you listen to Adagio with Strings this week, like I asked you to, like I have every day, there's that moment of the highest pitch, and then there's a dramatic pause, and then the music begins again with a beautiful resolution. That's chapter 21, but the high moment is when Nobody other than Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now, Nathaniel professes faith in in, in chapter 1. It's, it's pretty powerful for a guy who's just met Jesus for the first time. In chapter 9, the blind man, beautiful confession of faith. We saw that a couple weeks ago. Chapter 11, Martha uh, says, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But nobody else in the Gospel of John calls Jesus God. Except for Thomas. What do we make of that? Is he just doubting Thomas forever? No, there, there are other parts of the story that come out to us. For instance, in, in chapter 11, um, we have him speaking when, when Jesus is going back to Bethany to, to raise Lazarus back to life, and they've been trying to kill Jesus in Jerusalem, and, and his disciples are warning him not to go, and Jesus says, we're going and Thomas is the one who says in John chapter eleven, verse sixteen, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, this is one of those moments where you kind of wish you had the intonation of his voice. So is he braveheart? Like, let us go and die with him. I mean, is this resolute courage? Or is this kind of more Eeyore? we're all gonna die we don't know all we know is he says let's go and die with him and then in chapter 14 right after Jesus says let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also and where I go you know and the way you know and Thomas says to him in verse 5 yeah we don't know Jesus, if you think we know where you're going, we don't know. And if we don't know where you're going, we don't know the way. Just between us, don't you think he had a point? I mean, if you don't know the address, not even Siri can help you. If you don't know where you're going, you got nothing to punch in. You're like, oh, just you know, go that way till you get there. Where? Where am I going? And Thomas is just honest. Maybe we should just call him Honest Thomas. He's very honest, isn't he? I mean, there's there's resolute courage. Let us go and die with him. And then there's reasonable curiosity. So we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then the third time we hear Thomas's voice in this amazing drama that we call the Gospel of John, he says, my Lord and my God. Maybe he's not doubting Thomas. But it makes you wonder why he's absent. I mean, he, he does say, unless I see. But just remember, the other disciples have seen Jesus' hands and have seen his side. He's only asking for what they've seen. You know, is he from the Ozark Mountains of Israel? You know, kind of uh, show-me-state Missouri. You know, he's the Missourian apostle. i got to see it or I won't believe it. Maybe that's the point. Maybe Thomas just won't believe it unless he sees it. Maybe, maybe you too, right? But the interesting thing about the Gospel of John is it doesn't teach that seeing is believing. What it teaches is that believing is seeing. It flips it upside down. So maybe Thomas is absent because he knows Jesus is absent. And if Jesus is absent, then God is absent. And if God is absent, then everything good is. Is absent. And the thought that Jesus, when they say we've seen the Lord, for Thomas, maybe it's just too good to be true. And you know what they say about things that are too good to be true? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't true. Have you ever heard that? Maybe that's Thomas at this point. So it's interesting that jesus calls him out of that and he comes to this marvelous confession of faith and it just made me wonder today what if god called us out of the tomb of our disbelief today into the resplendent light of faith in him and what if that faith brought us to life. Here, here's what I noticed in this passage. I never noticed this before, but I just keep reading because I notice new things. And I noticed that there are two promises from Easter that I want us all to receive. The first one is when he says, um, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So there's a blessing, and I want you to get that blessing. See, we haven't seen Jesus' hands, but we, we can believe We haven't seen his side, but we can believe. The blessing is for us. The second thing he says in verse 31 is, to everyone who believes, he will give life. So I want us to receive the blessing and I want us to receive life. And the only way those things happen is, is in belief. And I know you've thought about this. I know I've thought about it. I've preached about it on Easter's uh, here. This is my 19th e- Easter here. And I know I've preached about it. And what I typically say is, Jesus came to life so that when we die, we will come to life. But I came this morning to say more. Jesus not only came to life to bring us physically back to life after we die, But Jesus came to life to create in his church a life-giving community that experiences his abundant, eternal life starting right now. And I started studying this week just wondering, because I was thinking maybe somebody, maybe not all of you, but somebody in this room was wondering, what does Easter really have to do with me? Okay, when I die, I get to come back to life. Great. Okay, good. Got it, Pastor. Let's move on. But what if Easter has everything to do with the way we're feeling today and the way we're living our lives today and the thoughts that keep us from trusting and believing in God. And what if God wants to move us beyond that? So, for instance, maybe we're, we're afraid. Oh, well, the disciples were afraid. How do we know that? Verse 19, they got the door locked. Why? Because they've seen Jesus arrested and crucified, and they don't want him coming after them. So they got the door locked so that they can be safe. Melanie and I were watching that movie Silence last night. Ooh, powerful powerful movie about the missionaries in Japan and how they've got to hide down in the in the bottom of the ground because if they catch them, they're gonna to torture them to death is missionaries. It's kind of crazy and 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 maybe this is the way the disciples are feeling. We don't want to be the next ones who get crucified. We we could be next and they're afraid. And to people like us who are sometimes afraid, to people like us who are serious about security, Jesus comes saying peace. Be with you. So, in a life giving community, we get to share the shalom. And by shalom, I don't just mean the absence of strife. And there's been a lot of war in the news. No, no, I mean by shalom, all the goodness of God. Maybe it's not too good to be true, this goodness of God. So Jesus comes, and he doesn't say it once or twice, but three times he says, peace be with you. And it's not the first time he says this, because you go back to chapter 14, and he says, my peace I give to you, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give to you. So for people like us who need peace, it turns out Easter is really big because it offers us the chance to experience God's shalom and share that with other people. Because a lot of us are really afraid. I remember my friend Dave Peterson used to pastor. He's retired now. Wow, what an amazing minister he had at Memorial Drive Pres. And he he says that he had a friend when he pastored up in the Northwest named Peter. Peter's 28 years old, goes to the doctor, routine visit. And the doctor says, you got cancer and you're not going to live very long. And Peter is overwhelmed, takes his family, goes out into the mountains up in the northwest. He's trying to process this pain. And he, he comes up this hill and he looks at this amazing mountain. And there's this in this little bowl of a valley there. There's this beautiful lake. And his wife says, hey, I'll go ask if we can rent a cabin. And she comes back and says, they've got an opening a year from now. And Peter just loses it. And he goes, yeah, I'm not going to be here a year from now. These mountains are gonna be here. They've been here for a thousand years and they'll be here for another thousand years, and and, and that lake's gonna be here a thousand years from now, but I'm not gonna be here, and it's just so unfair. It's so unfair that the mountain gets to stay and the lake gets to stay, but I don't get to stay. And sure enough, he never did see that mountain and that lake again. Because when Mount St. Helens blew up later that year, the lake evaporated. And the mountain blew up into the sky. Peter, on the other hand, is still alive, but it's true. He never got to see the mountain and the lake again. And you and I live with this kind of fear. And I love the psalmist when he says, there they were, filled with dread, when there was nothing to fear. And Jesus just keeps saying to us, the prophet Isaiah, uh, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. Do not, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When, you. when you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And Jesus comes to, to, to fearful people like me and says, peace. And then when they see him, And he extends his hand and they see the nail prints and they remember his suffering. And here they are and they're suffering and they've got all this grief. And suddenly, verse 20 of chapter 20 says, it all turns to joy. They are overjoyed when they see the Lord. Maybe if we could just see him more clearly in what we're going through, we would understand how incredibly powerful he is to give life, to sustain us, to Empower us and so Jesus just covers them with his joy and again in the gospel of John he's already said to them I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full turns out I have a bigger bucket than you have a cup so you hold your cup and your cup of joy is going to overflow because I got more than you got I've got more joy than you ever imagined and Jesus wants us not only to share in the shalom but to join in the joy And this is the distinctive, one of the distinctive characteristics. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, to be filled with the joy of the Lord, to discover that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And for one magnificent moment, they're no longer afraid because there's peace. They're no longer sad because there's joy. And I just want you to know that it goes on to say in verse 24, and Thomas wasn't there. So he's missing something by not being there. Things he wouldn't have wanted to miss. I mean, the, you know, I want you to share the shalom. I want you to, to join in the joy. I came home this week, and I was walking up the sidewalk to my house, and, and I looked down in the flower bed, and there were flowers. You go, well, great, Pastor, flowers should be in the flower bed, except I hadn't planted any flowers, and I'm usually the one who plants the flowers. So I went inside, and I said to Mellon, you plant some flowers? She said, I didn't plant any flowers. Casey, you've been planting flowers again? No, I didn't plant any flowers. Where did the flowers come from? Do you know where they came from? Yeah, neither do I. I mean, if you know, tell me, because I want to know. We're like dusting for fingerprints. Craig said he'd help me out. We're going to find out who planted who planted the flowers in the past. But every time I see him, I was walking up the sidewalk this morning, at 530, with my incorrigible dog, Paisley, and I'm looking at those flowers, and I'm just smiling. I'm like, wow, somebody... I mean, these flowers didn't just happen like in perfect little rows. That's how I know I didn't plant them. Like perfect little rows, beautiful. Somebody planted like 50-something flowers in my front yard, and I don't even know who did it. And that's the way I think we look to the world when we live with the joy of the Lord. They're going, who did that to them? Where did that come from? And they can't explain it away because it's so real in the community of joy that they say something must have happened to them. Sometimes um, we struggle with faith because we have this meaninglessness and we say, what's my purpose? I don't know what my purpose is. I don't have a sense of purpose. I'm struggling to find my purpose. So Jesus not only invites us to share the shalom and join in the joy, but the risen Lord in a life-giving community says, you can pursue my purpose. So he says, as the Father has sent me, 40 times, by the way, in the Gospel of John, the Father sent the Son and he says, that's the way I'm sending you. You, I've got a purpose for your life, and I want you to fulfill my purpose. So, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you go, man, I just don't know what my, the purpose of my life. I don't know why, why I'm here. And Jesus says, look, the Father who sent the Son, who sent the Holy Spirit, has sent you. So, fulfill his plan for your life. I love what George McDonald said, this one who discipled C.S. Lewis through his writings. He said, so the question of our lives is not, what should I like to do today? But rather, what would the living one have me to do? Look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I wouldn't pay any attention to what he said. But if he did, I wouldn't pay attention to anything else. What does he say? What would he have me to do with my life? Lord, since you redeem my life, what would you like for me to do with my life? What would you like for me to do with your life in me today? Because I belong to you. It's beautiful that he, he infuses them with his purpose so that they can pursue his purpose for their whole lives. And then he guarantees it with his presence. So he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Did you know that was there? I mean, you know about Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. This is kind of a little preview, isn't it? And it's like Jesus is saying to them, by the way, I told you, back in chapter 14 again, I will not leave you as orphans. But I will come to you, and sure enough, right on time, on God's standard time, early on Sunday morning, Jesus comes out of that tomb. Low in the grave he lay. Jesus, my Savior, waiting the coming day. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose He arose, hallelujah, Christ arose and Jesus comes to them and he breathes his Holy Spirit on them and he's reminding them, you will never, ever be alone. Peggy Keys was taking her kids to church on Easter Sunday morning and they were asking maybe what you asked this morning, why do we have to go, Why, why, why do we have to get up so early, why do we have to dress up? And finally she says, no, this is the day. This is not, you know, just bunnies and eggs. This is, this is the day of days. This is the main event. This is the Super Bowl of Christianity. In fact, the Super Bowl is the Easter of football. It's that big. It's, it's huge. It's that we live for this day. No, because of this day, we live because Jesus rose again from the grave and he's alive. And her three year old Kevin says, so will he be in church today? I believe he is. I believe He is every time we gather. We're two or more gather in my name. There I am. He promises us His presence and He delivers again and again and again. You see how Easter has to do with life? We're never alone. He's always with us. And then the, the promise as we see it is that He says to us that if we're feeling guilty, so just to chronicle, if we're afraid, if we're, if we're lonely, if, if we're uh, grieving, And finally, if we're guilty, look, Peter denied him three times, said, Lord, I'll die for you. But he doesn't. Thomas said, let's go and die with him, whatever that meant. But when he had the chance, he didn't do it. You can imagine him feeling a little bit guilty. And Jesus comes and says, so I'm giving you the power of forgiveness. Not only am I forgiving you, but you have the power to forgive other people. Not one person has that power but the church of God, the people of God, so that we can find forgiveness and we can forgive other people. And maybe that's the rub, isn't it? So grief's one thing, but when grief gets together with guilt, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever like when you lost somebody, realize, but I didn't say, I remember when Wordus Gideon passed away, And uh, he had been my New Testament professor and I had decided not to study under him for my doctorate and he was not happy with me the last time I saw him. And then I get this message that he's passed away. And Melanie can tell you, I was like spiritually speechless for like three days. I had nothing to say. And the reason was not just because I was sad that Wordist was gone, but I never got to tell him, hey, I'm okay, everything's okay. So my guilt got together with my grief. Has that ever happened to you? Because it's ugly when it does. When guilt gets together with grief, my, my, my mentor, Pastor Larry Nixon, who sent me to New Hope Church, and he said, I'm going to come do a revival for you sometime. Absolutely. And before I had a chance to invite him to do a revival, he passed away, and uh, guilt and grief, collision. Now, just throw in a little bit of fear and loneliness with that, and you got crazy. And this is where Thomas is. I mean, it's too good to be true that Jesus could come back to life, Right. But watch Jesus rekindle his faith. Jesus comes and says, you need to see my hands. Here here they are. You need to see my side. Go ahead. Just put it in. You got it. Go ahead. And Thomas is like, no further questions, Your Honor. I got nothing to say. Just my Lord, You're the Master, my God. Only one in the Gospel of John to call Him that. Why? Because out of His disbelief comes a more powerful faith than he could ever have believed. And some of you would say to me today, you know what? I don't believe and I don't want to believe. And all I'm going to say to you is be careful who you hang out with. Because if you start hanging out with the people of God, what happens sometimes is God will start to awaken something within you that you didn't even intend to happen. So Thomas, the second time Jesus comes, which is the next Sunday, Thomas is there. And Jesus shows up. And Thomas believes and because he believes he comes to life in Jesus name I was thinking about who this has happened to like C.S. Lewis right he said I was the most reluctant convert in all of England like like usually the prodigal son comes home happily I came home kicking and screaming God had to drag me into the kingdom C.S. Lewis said but he did and C.S. Lewis had such a profound influence on so many people. I think about scientists in recent years, Francis Collins and others who said, We believe, we believe, we're scientists, but we believe in Jesus Christ. But then I was thinking about in our church, when I moved here uh, 19 years ago, there's a guy who could play the clarinet. And when I say that, I just can't even do justice to it because he was like the best clarinetist in, in the world. Our, In Houston, for sure. In Texas, for sure. And just keep, you know, going out. He went with me up to Montana one time, played the clarinet, and his wife Susan uh, played the violin. And the people in Helena, Montana, will never forget that music because it was awesome. And I got a chance to preach while I was up there. You know, you know why I remember that trip? Because I mean, Jeff Lerner is this clarinet player, and he's amazing, and I had taught in men's life over in our gym about sin and about how our sin separates us from God and how we're all sinners, and he came to me after I taught, and he was just such a seeker, but he wasn't a believer at that point, and he said, you know, Dwayne, if that were true, if we really were sinners and that sin separated us from God, then we would need a savior. He said, I get where you're going with that, and I just remember thinking at that point, you're on the right road, Jeff. The road you're on is leading you in the right direction. Well, years passed, and a lot of people shared their faith with him, and a lot of things happened. And when we were on that trip to Helena, you know why I remember that trip to Helena? Because right before I left, I went to my dermatologist, and he took a little multicolored mole off my leg and said, that may be melanoma. I'll let you know in 10 days. You don't know me, but hypochondria runs in my family. So I am I am on the internet learning about melanoma, things I didn't even want to know about melanoma, and I'm waiting 10 days and now I get to preach. And I'll tell you what, it gave me great clarity when I preached up in Helena, Montana. Because I preached as one who might never preach again. I preached as a dying man to dying men. And Jeff played and I preached. And I came home for a funeral for Alan Lewis. My friend Alan Lewis went home to be with the Lord. And I, came, I flew back from Montana, left Chase up there with his friends, and then preached the funeral and then flew back to Montana and finished out the mission trip. And I just remember while I was home on the way to the airport, going back to Montana, I got the nurse on the line. And she said, oh, you should get something in the mail. No, it's just you're getting old. <laughs> That's what she said. It's just you got like an old skin thing. I don't know. But it's not melanoma. You're good and then i went back and i preached and years pass and then and then jeff is he continues to ask questions and then jeff he meets this preacher named stuart rothberg and stuart is a converted Jew like Jeff he grew up in the Jewish faith but he became a believer in Jesus didn't reject his Judaism he just completed his Judaism by becoming a follower of Jesus and Jeff would stop by and talk to him from time to time and one day Stuart took Jeff and Susan and Nathan their son over to Israel and they walked right out in the Jordan River and Stuart Rothberg baptized Jeff, buried with him by baptism, raised to live a brand new life. And and how did that happen? Can I just show you what Stuart Rothberg said about that at Jeff's funeral just a few weeks ago, which, by the way, was an entirely different funeral than it would have been 20 years ago before he was a believer. But watch what Stuart Rothberg, this pastor, says about that experience. God did it and what happens when God does it is that we come to life in fact John would say you never live until you believe in Jesus you you know I've come that you might have life John 10 that you might have it abundantly John 11 I am the resurrection and the life John 14 by the way we're indebted to Thomas for this one because if Thomas hadn't said we don't know where you're going Jesus wouldn't have said I am the way and the truth and the life and the blessing he promised Thomas didn't receive that because he got to see, but I'm looking at a room of people who have never seen the nail prints in Jesus' hands. Not yet we haven't, have we? We've never seen the mark on his side. Not yet we haven't, have we? And yet, we have the privilege of believing. And here's what happens when you believe. Like Thomas, you worship. When you believe, you come to life. So if this week, thinking about these things, if you come to something in the Scripture and you say, well, that is just too good to be true, I would just remind you that if it seems too good to be true, God's probably involved in it some way. And if it's too good to be true, it probably is for you. And if you think it seems too good to be true, then know this, The story of Jesus' resurrection is such good news that it has to be true. Believe in Him and live. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the amazing story. Of the resurrection which captivates our hearts thank you for the lamb of god who took away the sins of the world and rose again on the third day god would you help us to follow that lamb everywhere he goes this week god show us where you want us to go and i pray this week that we would share in your shalom with the gathered people of God, Lord, that we would make a way to be with your people so that we can join in the joy, so that we can pursue your purpose, so that we can practice your presence, so that we can find forgiveness and forgive other people for all the reasons that we fearful, sad, purposeless, lonely Guilty people need life, God. I pray that today we would see that in Jesus, the risen Lord, you have the answer for all of that and more. And Lord, help us to believe so that like Thomas, we can come out of the tomb of our doubt into the clear light of your life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.